In today's episode of Accelerate Slate, an Enrollment Fuel podcast, Katie and I will talk about the different things you should be looking for as you hire a new slate captain. We talk about the pros and cons of hiring internally versus externally. We talk about the skills you should be looking for, the qualities that you should look for in a potential captain. We provide some insight into some of the ways that we've hired in the past and encourage you to think and look for the right person to run your instance of slate. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate Slate, an Enrollment Fuel podcast. You are here today with your hosts, Susanna Lehman-Mayo and, and Katie Jordan. And today we are going to talk about selecting your captain and potential office structures. So Katie, why did we decide to talk about this one today? Well, I think and it may be due to the nature of our work, but I don't know the last time you have chatted with a school that's been like, yes, I'm fully staffed. I feel great. <laughs> so, right, there's a lot of open positions. Um, and I know one thing that like we are aware of is that it can be really hard to find a great replacement. And I also think that sometimes the people really leading the search process may not feel super comfortable asking the harder, more technical slate questions. So they might find a great office fit, but they might not find a super like slatey person, vice versa, any combination, mix and match. And here we are to save the day. <laughs> that is fair. Well, and I think one of the things people have trouble understanding is what is a slatey person? You sure. know, I I think there's there's certainly questions I get from VPs, directors all the time as they're looking for a captain to say, mm -hmm. what should I be looking for? Mm -hmm. And uh, there's some specific skills and just like when I think strength finders, uh, there are some strengths that tend to go along with people who tend to be really strong captains and enjoy the work. And I think that's a big part of it. The more you enjoy your slate work, the better you're going to be at it. So, um, can I um, guess what you're going to say is the top Clifton strength? Oh, uh, yo, go for it. What is it going to be? <laughs> well, so we both took this in the past couple months, right? And we didn't have a ton of overlap, which, like, I get. We work very differently. But the one we had in common that I'm, I'm I guess, I'm hoping is the slate skill, <laughs> or else I don't have it. Um, is learner. 100%. Um, and and I think for me, the, the big piece of that is if, when you find a good captain, whether there's someone who has experience or not, there's someone who's willing to kind of dive in and wants mm -hmm. to learn mm -hmm. um, and wants to be creative. And yeah. it's kind of going along with that. I think someone with some autonomy who feels like they can go out and do it and they mm -hmm. they see things at summit and think this is mm -hmm. something I want to try and something mm -hmm. I want to do. So it's kind of taking that level of learning and looking at how they can apply it to the yes. work that they're doing that makes mm -hmm. a huge difference in an instance that's functional versus an instance that is thriving. I think that's a really good way to look at it. Um, this is going to be a little negative for me, but I'll just say it. I think the person I struggle the most to work with is the person who just shows up and they're like, I hate slate. And I'm like, well, there's very little I can do with that then. And I feel comfortable saying it in this setting because I also think that is not the person who is listening. <laughs> That's fair. To this podcast. So like the openness to, as you're saying, like learning 
being creative, like understanding the excitement around running an instance. I think that is going to be the backbone of a great slate captain, maybe even more so than like a huge amount of a slate experience. I would agree. I would agree because this is the person who's going to be willing to go out and learn it and Mm -hmm. do what needs to be done, which also comes with an element of they need to be willing to make changes and not afraid of change. Um, They have to kind of be willing to embrace that change. But Mm -hmm. with that comes, of course, changes in office culture. So, you know, I I read Switch, which is a book uh, about change management multiple times as I was going through my Slate implementation um, because I'm a person who loves change. But uh, not everyone I worked with loved change as much Mm -hmm. as I did. And so some people struggled a little bit with our build the plane as we're flying approach and the idea that we had to... (laughs) We tried things one way and then we're like, yeah, it didn't work quite, quite the way we wanted it to. And then all of a sudden we're like, okay, well, we're going to give you some new instructions. And they're like, what are you doing? Um, and I think one of my flaws there was I just figured everyone else is going to be like, okay, yeah, we're doing this. And some people really hated having to make changes midway through what we were doing. So. I think the reality is if someone hates change, slate might be tough for them. Because it's not even the level of like, oh, this is how we've always done it, but let's change that. It's like the tool itself <laughs> right? is evolving. Best practices change. New things come out. So you got to you gotta roll with it, you know? <laughs> I 100%. Like um, I know one thing that I really learned a lot on the fly <laughs> uh, moving into the captain role was really starting to work with other departmental leaderships around campus. Um, So being able to communicate within the office, I know that's something you and I have chatted about before, having the twice a year meetings to get feedback, important, but also, you know, being able to chat with your athletics department, maybe with your first year academic advisors, depending how much you're kind of dabbling in student success. But even with getting deposit reports to your financial services, like Slate does a lot, even if you are a small school with a smaller instance, like you got to have the good relationships across campus. Yep, I would agree. And I think that there's this level of confidence that you have to have in Mm -hmm. order to do that. Um, And you have to be feel empowered to make those moves. And so, you know, I was really lucky when I uh, did my first implementation, I was working very closely with my vice president who understood how important this getting getting slate and running was. Mm-hmm. So he kind of gave me the ability to run and said, you need to just go ahead and make these decisions and make the moves on them. Um, And I really appreciated that because now I see that as a a much needed thing for anyone who's going to be a captain. Mm -hmm. I will say like when we're implementing with somebody and they're like, oh, I have to go check with three other people (laughs) about some of the smallest things. It's, it holds back the whole process. And so your person needs to be comfortable moving things forward. It doesn't mean they make all decisions in you know, some kind of vortex, but it does mean that they need, they need to feel like, okay, this is something I feel like I can make the decision on mm-hmm. after I get the right input or I've got the input already. I'm ready to make this decision. Right. No, but I've, I've run into schools that are like, oh, I don't know if we can call the prompts key that. And I'm like, 
please. <laughs> right. No one else is going to care. Yeah. No, I really like that. Um, this might be a little bit of my bias, right? But my background is purely admissions. I started as like a baby admissions counselor. And I think that hugely helped me move into sleep because I understood a lot of the like, oh, this is what needs to happen. This is the process. This is what will be a good counselor experience, but also a good student experience. And I think, I don't think that part gets overlooked, but I'm not sure that it always gets like the focus it deserves. Yeah, I I would agree. I think, you know, we talked to a lot of schools that are putting together their team of captains mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, um, you know, there's, there's always the, this idea that, oh, we need someone from IT. It's like, no, you don't need someone from IT to be a captain. You mm-hmm. can bring them in for some of the early decisions, but they don't need to be standing alongside you for the entire build. But having that territory background uh, or territory management background, if you're in admissions, if you're working in advancement, someone who's got that kind of global view of what are the needs of your users and your prospective donors um, from student success is thinking about like, what is the general experience we need people to have on both ends? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's there's value in having somebody who understands the data side of things, um, which you know, in my case, I actually started in data entry and then moved into territory management. Um, so I got lucky in that I did understand the data needs and I understood the territory management needs. But in many ways, you're really trying to appease your territory managers and your kind of mid-level um, team members more so than you are trying to appease, you know. The, <laughs> I'm trying to think, did I have the other areas? anyone? <laughs> Right. But but the experience, the people going out and doing the communication, the people going out and chatting with your prospective individuals, they they have very specific needs. And oftentimes, I mean, I remember when I did data entry, I was like, what do admission counselors do all day anyway? Do they just around and talk? Um, Yes, that's it. (laughs) Right. And then I became an admission counselor. and I was like, oh, right. There's a lot more to this job than I thought there was. I love that. And so, you know, you don't always see that global perspective. And I think that's a big part of it is understanding what are the (laughs) needs of most of your team members and how do you work with everybody else to figure out how you can, how you can help them move forward. I'm just trying to imagine as a territory manager, how I would have felt if someone in data processing came up to me and they were like, do you just talk all day? And I just would, yes, that's it. (laughs) Right. I mean, in all fairness, Katie, when I first started in admissions, all of our files were paper. We'd spend the first oh. hour or two every day putting together the paper files and the little individual postcards that we were going to send to all of the applicants. And then I had to manually enter half the data that was on an application. So my it- role was slammed all the time with sure. busy work. And so it didn't like that was kind of my perspective is like, oh, they're all out having fun and I'm typing and doing data entry all day. Is it day. rude to say yikes? <laughs> no, no. I mean, it was, it was 2005. So the times sure have changed, but um, it was it was a lot of very tedious work. And that role actually no longer even exists at my previous institution because they sure. were able to get rid of it thanks to sleep. Love that. 
Um, so Susanna, just like a fun quick side note, what did you study in college? I made up my own major. Um, I was a liberal professional studies major with a focus in education and communication. Oh, right. So I took a fairly similar approach, uh, majored in psychology, but did a self-designed triple minor um, of classics, religious studies, and history. Oh, um, okay. It, my official minor was the evolution of Zeus in the ancient Mediterranean, um, oh. which has come in largely unhelpful day to day, but gosh, it was fun to study. Um. So would you say that we are intense computer science people? Absolutely not. You know, and, <laughs> and I love when people come on and they're like, oh, yeah, we need somebody with programming background. And I'm like, you do know that's not our background. Our background is really working in Slate and working in admissions. So, mm -hmm. yes, no, you are correct. Not computer science. It, that's it helps, not, you know, it, it I does like help. We've, we've picked it up you know, through time in Slate, but gosh, I would not say that programming is my background. No. And in fact, I would say it's as we move further and further away from SQL being a thing that people need to understand, or need, I shouldn't say need to understand, that people need to use in Slate, it becomes less and less of a, of a need to have that computer background experience. Now, courses in HTML, CSS, JavaScript, SQL, mm -hmm. they can be helpful, but it's absolutely not a requirement to be able to sleep well. I think that is more than fair. So, yeah. And yeah. and I think as you as you consider who you want to be your captain whether you have slate or not, the biggest thing about Slate is it's growing and mm -hmm. there is a huge professional development opportunity. So, as you're thinking about who to put into a role, you may think about bringing somebody in-house who kind of has shown a desire to learn more um, and giving them this opportunity to develop professionally. Mm, it's huge. It really is. The community, I mean, I feel like we say every episode, like the Slate community, not just every episode, like most days. <laughs> so true. So true. It's huge. So let's talk a little bit about office structure, right? thinking through all of the different needs. And I know this is, it's, a, you know, of course it changes by office size, but there are some pretty basic things we can break it down into, right? So you started with data management. We do. Yeah. So data management was where I began and. Oh, okay. Let's pause for a second. Well, so that brings us to a pretty good point thinking about our office structure. So, you know, this differs by school. This is going to differ by school type, school size, school focus sometimes even. But there are some pretty fundamental needs that stay the same across institutions. So you mentioned starting with data management. Yes. And so my original job was data entry. And 
even with Slate, there is still a need to do some data cleansing. You know, the important thing is you want to make sure your data is clean before it moves over to your student information system. Um, or if it's continually moving over to your student information system, making sure that the data is staying as clean as possible, as organized as possible. So you do typically still need somebody who's going to be doing some of that manual like work. Um, sometimes it's literally printing the letters that need to go out. It's mm -hmm. releasing the decisions. It's those types of pieces, um, which sometimes go, it might be one person who does data management and decision release, but you want to think about those specific roles and who's managing those pieces. Mm -hmm. I mean, same kind of thing with communications. Um, maybe you have someone in admissions doing them. Maybe you have someone in marketing doing them. Maybe someone in marketing is doing like the template structure, but admissions is coming up with the content that can live in a couple different places, especially if you have, you know, a divided undergraduate, graduate breakout, different things like that. So communications, I think, vary a lot across schools. Absolutely. And a lot of schools end up unifying or merging the idea of communications and events into one role. But okay. I also see schools that keep those as two separate things. Or, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's someone who does the big events who manages communications, and then you've got a visit coordinator who's managing those day-to-day -day events. Mm -hmm. um, so you kind of want to think about who on your team is filling those different roles. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the biggest gaps I often see is in the structure of even setting up the daily visit within Slate. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the first things I typically look at when I'm doing any kind of audit of a school's instance is are they being efficient with how they structure that? Because the truth mm -hmm. is for a lot of smaller schools, there's little things that students are invited to do throughout their visit that can be done a little bit easier in Slate. But all that to say, you want to make sure your visit coordinator has a firm grasp on what they're supposed to be doing, what that role looks like, and how Slate can work for them versus them having to work for Slate. This is just a side note, but you know one of the first things I check for is my very pet peeve in event communications upon registration slash update. Oh. Oh. <laughs> That's, that's fair. That is um, fair. <laughs> just a side note. Um, and then, you know, who is overseeing? First off, all of these people, if they are all working within Slate, um, but also like who's working a little bit more with your operations team? What do those roles look like? Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think it's very very normal in many cases for your like chief captain um, to maybe it's your admiral. I don't know what you want to call them, um, <laughs> but uh, for them to oversee the operations team, um, I see that structure more frequently than that person overseeing the admissions team, although I do see both. Um, but because of the data integrity piece, um, it's often that that chief captain has moved over to operations mm -hmm. and managing more mm -hmm. on that side of things, um, which they should be working very closely with your IT team. Because even though the main role of IT with a Slate implementation is that integration with other systems, it's mm -hmm. super important that whoever is running your instance understands data, data integrity, how that data is affecting other departments on campus. So, you know, I feel like we've talked before about a data governance committee, but that is something that should exist on a campus to make sure that everyone understands how what they do is kind of connecting everything else. And 
And just like another quick Katie's extreme bias corner, um, which I expect that name will not catch on, but you never know. Right. Um, (laughs) Put the note out there of being mindful of putting too much onto this one person's plate. Um, When you have a captain or an admiral who also has a admissions recruiting territory, these are very different jobs. Very hard to do both things well. And I'm not going to say more on that, but I do want to have that on record. No, I 100% agree with you. And it's so easy when you just get slate for someone who's in charge to be like, well, this person can, you know, this is a new system. We're not going to do much with it. But the truth is, if you start putting together a data governance committee and you start having this person bring in other areas into your instances slate, it will very quickly evolve into a full-time job. Now, if of mm-hmm. course the person that you put into this role is okay with doing kind of the bare minimum, and I, I shouldn't say it that way, that sounds really negative, but no, you know, but if like, they are not striving to thrive, let's put it that way, um, then uh, it won't be a full-time job. But if you really want to make the best use you can of your slate instance, mm-hmm. this person will need as much time as possible to invest in making Slate a bigger, better thing for your campus. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Susanna, how would you go about finding your dream Slate person? Great question. So, um, and I often get questions like this from mm-hmm. uh, partners who are looking yeah. to hire someone. Um, I think the bit, first thing is to understand what is out there already in the marketplace. So most most jobs that are attractive to slate captains tend to allow remote work. And Mm -hmm. um, if you're not open to remote, you are going to struggle to find somebody with the skills and Mm -hmm. the drive to want to do this. Um, But being remote also means that you do tend to have to pay a little bit more. Um, So, you know, I've seen jobs out there paying between like 55 and 75, I would say is, is kind of the, the normal range, mm-hmm. um, but most are in the $65,000 a year range. Um, I, yeah. Oh. Listen, I've, I've joked sort of before that like the amount of money it would take to get me back in an office is more money than I am worth. <laughs> Remote <laughs> options. Yeah. Big, big fan. Um, but something we touched on a little bit earlier, I pointed up as if that means any, I'm pointing at you. But you something know, you mentioned good. a little earlier, <laughs> you know, let's just say it again, the slight community, like the opportunities for professional development, huge highlighting that saying like, oh, we will be sending you to summit, take the time for the webinars, like putting it out there that you are supporting this person in growing in slate, super attractive. I would agree. And I think the other piece is make sure they have a team. You know, there are a lot of captains out there that are flying solo. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, you don't have to expect all of your team to have the same skill levels. Because as we talked about before, you typically kind of divide and conquer different things in Slate. But you normally have one person who's kind of the main captain who's running running the ship. Um, So you want to make sure that they've got somebody else they can lean on and they're not just drowning in Slate work by themselves. (laughs) Well, I mean, the the categories that we broke down, it's it's a giant job. And those are very different skill sets. I agree. I agree. 
So, you know, as you're thinking about putting out a posting, there's a couple ways you can think about it. Like we've talked a little bit about potential hires from within who often don't mm-hmm. necessarily have slate skills at this point, but you know, mm-hmm. they're, they tend to be a known resource, right? So sure. they are somebody that you've seen what drives them you have a good idea of where their interests lie. And you know, this is a person who's going to work well for you versus mm-hmm. not, you know? So I think that's a, that's a big thing you can think about if you are thinking about hiring from within. Mm-hmm. No, there's definitely some some pros to it. Um, counter argument, pro to hiring externally. <laughs> so that gives you the opportunity to really get someone who is coming to the table with different thoughts because they've seen maybe other Slate instances before. So they could have like some really cool builds up their sleeves. But even if they're brand new to Slate, you're getting someone who is not coming in with the mentality of, well, this is how we've done it before. You know, you have the opportunity to really grow with that person. Yeah, no, that is that is very true. Um, Because if you do hire from within, you're going to have somebody who knows your processes, team, Mm -hmm. key players and systems, which can be good things. Um, But one of the big things they teach you when you're learning how to do Slate is don't just recreate what you were doing before, but think about, is this the best way to -hmm. do this thing, right? So again, thinking back to that person that if you are looking to hire from within, are they someone who's willing to kind of take a look at the processes and say, this is ideal versus this is not? um, And how do we make this better for us? Sure. Um, And this is like a slightly horrible pro of me to say, (laughs) but a pro of hiring from within um, is you can maybe do a salary bump that's not all the way up to those, you know, 55, 75,000 that we mentioned. So just like putting that out there because I'm a horrible person. (laughs) Well, but, you know, I think one of the challenges of that is if you do only give a salary bump, we talked a little Mm -hmm. bit before about the pay range that we typically see for slate postings and the remote options that are often available other places. So if you don't pay them as much as, you know, you might have to pay an external person, chances Mm -hmm. are you won't hold on to them. So you'll be providing them professional development so they can go elsewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. Doesn't always happen, but it is very common. I mean, I've seen situations where someone that was in Slate for six months and was able to get a job paying almost double what they were paid at their institution and remote. So you want to be careful about that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, as a short-term solution, that does sometimes come up. Um, And we all know it's harder to get a pay raise for somebody internal than it is to go out and get a job posting that's going to pay what it should to keep your captain. Well, they're also, you know, something we've been saying is like, maybe they'll have slate experience. Maybe they won't. There can be a risk to hiring based solely on a person's potential, especially if they're coming externally and you don't have all of the knowledge, but if you're hiring from within, it's a lot of like, hope you can do this. (laughs) Right. No, so true. So true. Well, and you often know how to motivate that internal person where that external mm-hmm. person, you're not confident on what's going to motivate them to, to make things happen. Um, so, you know, as I think 
you know, getting back to your idea of hiring an external person that you don't know much about, one of the things that I used to do is put together some sort of activity that they would have to do during the on-campus part of Mm -hmm. an interview. So, Mm -hmm. for example, when I hired an events and communications manager, I built a very gross um, test template uh, with, like, typos and, you know, bad formatting. It, It was intentionally not good. And um, I asked them to assess it and put together Mm -hmm. what they would have done differently to it. And, um, you know, the person we ended up hiring came with completely rewritten communications and had it very nicely structured. Um, And it showed me that they had the analysis skills and um, could take a look at it and say, this was good, this was not good, um, and Mm -hmm. really assess it provide that feedback. Um, So it gave me an idea of kind of their approach, as well as their writing skills and their ability to kind of analyze how we had things put together. So that's Mm -hmm. something I would recommend, especially if you're looking at an external hire. But internal hires could do the same thing. Because if you'll notice, the questions weren't about Slate specifically, but how did they approach an issue? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Counter-argument. If they do have experience, like one of my favorite interview questions is like, what is your favorite thing that you've built? For a couple of reasons. But one of the earliest things we said in this episode is like the excitement about learning and the creativity. So it's not for me that question necessarily about like the hardest thing they've ever put together, but the fix that they found most challenging, most exciting, most improved their instance. And like looking for like that spark of like, let me tell you about my slate build. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, I would agree. Um, Cause again, it's going back to that. This is a person who loves to learn and loves mm-hmm. to improve the lives of others and improve mm-hmm. their instance. So I, I would agree with you. I, I love that question. And in an interview, even like when I was on campus, we did interview some folks at one point for a different role that had slate experience. And I did ask them to present on it. And it was fascinating to see what they came up with. And yeah. I really appreciated that question. Um, I know I already soapboxed about this, but I'm just going to soapbox about it again really, really fast before we wrap up. Sure. Um, if you hire someone within and they were an admissions counselor, feel free to like take something off of their plates as you are handing them your entire slate instance. 100% agree. It's so tempting to just continue to use that person for all the things, but think about the things that align directly with the role. And unfortunately, I hate to say it, doing territory management while running an instance of Slate doesn't necessarily align with the role the same way other things might on (laughs) campus. So, you know, it's different for every campus. So I can't say that universally, but at the same time, I do find that people who are trying to manage students and manage an instance of Slate. I mean, just think about the sheer fact that visits are typically highest during like the month of October for a lot of campuses, which is when if you're a territory manager, you're on the road. But it's Mm -hmm. also often when decisions are released for a lot of small private schools. So you've got these kind of three big competing things going against each other and something's got to give. And unfortunately, because students are the top priority, it's going to be the slate work that ends up falling behind, which then also affects the student experience. So 
you know, you just want to kind of think about it in that context. So I think the big important note that we want to make sure we put into place before mm-hmm. we sign off on this is your goal should be to find the right person to run your instance. Internal or external, awesome, but the right person, much more important. Absolutely. So Katie, I think that's everything we have for today. So listeners, thank you for joining us. And uh, this is Susanna and Katie signing off.